This is the Life at Work Conference podcast, an initiative of City Bible Forum. Hi, I'm Andrew Laird, host of the Life at Work Conference podcast, where we meet real workers wrestling with real workplace issues. Today, overcoming imposter syndrome. Why do I feel like I need this to prove myself? It might be a little bit navel-gazy, but it's a chance to go, well, um, do I really, am I really taking my value from being made in the image of God? We want to keep going back to that feeling of thankfulness, of accepting the gifts that we have. My guests today are Dr. Catherine DeFontenay and Dr. Amy Isham. I'm Andrew Laird, and this is the Life at Work Conference podcast. Imposter syndrome. It's an experience that many of us are likely familiar with, even if we haven't described it as such, that sense of I'm a fraud and I'm going to get found out, often in relation to how much experience we have or I believe we don't have when it comes to the profession we find ourselves in. Now, for some people, it can be crippling, leaving them too scared to try new things, while for others, it can feel like a constant shadow which hangs over them. What is going on, particularly in our hearts, to cause this reaction, imposter syndrome, and how does the Christian faith free us from it? It's something both of today's guests have considered, particularly in the world of academia. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine and Amy. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Amy, look, if I can start with you, perhaps. I've given a brief description of imposter syndrome there, but but flesh it out for us. Uh, what is it? How would you describe it? Yeah, I think imposter syndrome is interesting because it tells us how we feel about the profession that we've entered. We have it in such high regard that to enter it feels transgressive, where suddenly either we belong or we don't, Mm. and we're either doing a good job or a terrible job, and we start to swing between emotions. We either think, oh, if I belong here, then I'm a fantastic person. If I don't belong here, then I'm a terrible person. And those uh, that becomes a real black and white way of thinking, which is obviously very oppressive. Mm. And as you say there, it obviously stems from a from a high value that we have for this uh, this profession that we've uh, we've landed in, we wouldn't, I guess, necessarily feel it if we <laughs> didn't think much of the the kind of work that we do. Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful in that oscillation as well. Um, look, I think it was the comedian and actor Tina Fey who once described it as that experience of vacillating between extreme egomania and a complete feeling of I'm a fraud. That vacillation that you talked about there, Amy, uh, and that people are gonna get. Catch on to me. Catherine, is that something that you have ever experienced before in your work? So if I think about that Tina Fey quote, it sounds very particular to performing. Mm. And I have to admit that economists don't perform before screaming casts of thousands, (laughs) which is sad. Uh, But I think you do... It did, did... feel somewhat similar to the experience of teaching sometimes. So there's moments where you really feel uh, the master of what it is you're teaching and very much on top of it. And you hold the class in the palm of your hand. And then there's moments where you feel a little further out of your comfort zone. And that's, it's usually pretty noticeable in your voice if you're sort of not not quite (laughs) as as comfortable. But uh, I think the imposter syndrome is that you can have both feelings about material that actually you know quite well, but mm. it's just that level of of security in yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting about feeling it about uh, in both ways. Yeah, look, you are both uh, academics by background, um, PhDs, and all sorts of other qualifications between the two of you. 
Uh, is there something about academia especially that can foster imposter syndrome, Amy, perhaps? Yeah, I do think it is a fairly competitive field because there are so few roles that are permanent and then there are so many kind of casual throwaway roles. So you'll feel like you need to perform at this really high level, get really good ratings from your students, um, perhaps get a teaching award so that you can become permanent. And so that lack of permanence can make it feel very uh, competitive and you'll put a lot more energy than you might into something else. Mm. I think, too, it's the nature of academic research that you end up with a really deep knowledge, but of a very narrow area. Mm. So you don't it, what what researchers on science and on sort of academic science more broadly have found is that as the frontier of knowledge has expanded, we have to increasingly specialize <clears throat> to get to the frontier, to be enough of an expert to have a PhD and an academic career. And so you start to feel pretty insecure when you move out of your area of specialization. And if a paper comes across that you didn't know about in your area, then that's really uh, unnerving. Mm, mm. So it's that competitive nature of the industry that can certainly uh, foster this. It's also the perhaps the, the sense that uh, jobs are few and, and limited, and so if I'm not performing, uh, I'm going to be out of a job. So obviously that applies to other professions as well too. This is not a, an issue that's unique to academia. Uh, all of us, no matter what field we're in, can be susceptible to, to it. But let's just try and uh, d diagnose it a little bit more deeply. Amy, I know this is something that you have considered previously, and you've come up with three things that might be creating imposter syndrome. So what are they? And unpack them for us. Yeah, so um, the first one is, uh, I'll say perfectionism. I do think that people that have imposter syndrome, I don't know, maybe they don't have perfectionism. I do know people... Like I like to think I'm not a perfectionist and when I, um, I'll be like, no, 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 I don't fall into that because I'll fight against it. But I do remember putting it on my resume for the first job and being quite proud of it in my interview. That you were a perfectionist. That I was a perfectionist. Okay. <laughs> and now I look back and I go, oh, my gosh, perfectionism is the worst. Mm. Um, I met someone who was a real perfectionist and they were a triathlete. And so whenever they didn't do well in running, they could say, well, I'm actually more of a swimmer. And if they did badly in swimming, they could say, oh, I'm actually more of a cyclist. That's a that's a handy strategy to have right there. Yeah. <laughs> so if we're not, because there's this sense that you must see, you must reach this particular um, uh, target. Mm. But uh, perfectionism is such a subjective thing. To be a perfect, to get something perfect in economics would be incredibly different to say ethnography, which is my field. Mm. It's a very touchy feely thing. So what is a, what is perfect? And that's the problem with perfectionism: is you're always going to be reaching for it, and you're always going to be feeling inadequate. Mm. Um, so we've got perfectionism. What, what, yeah. what other ones are there? Uh, so. Uh, it kind of hold, hand in hand with perfectionism, you start to compare yourself because mm. what is perfect? You go, well, that person's obviously doing a better job than me. So you start to compare yourself and that's that poison of the sidelong glance. Nothing that you have is ever enough because next to you somebody has a better role. Perhaps mm. they did a better job of the same project. It's, yeah, it's a constant sense of intimidation and uh, valuing yourself and valuing other people. Mm. So perfectionism can foster imposter syndrome. Uh, comparison can. Uh, what's the third thing that you've got there? Well, so overwork, I would say, mm. is, but it's also the byproduct of the first two. Yes. Because if you are in this state of needing to be 
perfect and you are comparing yourself to somebody else, you will spiral into overwork. And the problem with overwork is also you won't even be able to see the details of your work clearly anymore. You're just reaching for this unattainable goal where the, the, the target keeps shifting. Whereas if you actually set a realistic goal and you hit it, you could go, oh, I'm going to go get a good night's sleep and think clearly. Mm. So overwork keeps you in that spiral. Mm, mm. Catherine, if I can make it personal for, for a moment... Those three things that Amy unpacks there that might be driving imposter syndrome, so perfectionism, comparison, overwork, how have you seen any of those or all of those perhaps at work in your heart throughout your work career? I would say that the comparison's the one that really struck a chord for me. Mm. So I distinctly remember arriving in graduate school and then just realizing how incredibly smart the people in my course were and the faculty were. And it very soon became clear that you were always going to meet someone who was much smarter than you were. And that was a very intimidating feeling. Mm. Uh, and I think that, as, as Amy said, we love our profession, we love our field, uh, we love the, the pieces of work that are really excellent that are produced in our field. But from there, it's a really small leap to start worshipping the mm. people that produce that amazing work. Um, we're, we're natural worshippers as humans, and mm. so it's very easy to, to start idolizing these, uh, these people that have produced something that is really remarkable and to start feeling as though it's unattainable. Uh, and in terms of the overwork, this may have been the American uh, <laughs> context, but, but I, I think initially my reaction was, oh, well, these people are amazing. I'll just have to work harder to get to their level. And it became very clear that I wasn't going to be able to work as hard as they were either. Mm. You know, they're just sort of the, the tremendous uh, race towards overwork in the American academic context meant that it was sort of a race you could never catch up in. Mm, mm. Amy, I put Catherine in the hot seat. What about for you? Uh, any of those three or all of those three, have they, have they found themselves working themselves out in your life at all ever, particularly perhaps as you were doing that research work of a PhD and perhaps looking around at others in a similar field? Yeah, and it was interesting um, in terms of uh, Catherine had an experience of being a part of a big cohort and I, I think I constantly, um, I think one thing that kept me from falling too much into perfectionism was I was in the country mm. and I was surrounded by, I had only two other people in my cohort, but um, I had to get to this place of going, I need to just be good enough because I, I trick myself. I'll be like, I'm not being a perfectionist. I'm just trying to do it the right way. <laughs> and then I tear myself to shreds finding what is the best way to do this. And I had to go right, similar to Catherine, I have to go, I'm not going to be able to keep up with um, my heroes and I have to just accept that. I think that was um, – it was very intense to kind of go, oh, I have to keep on levelling this out because I remember this little thought that came into to the back of my mind, which was uh, when I was doing my PhD, I was like, wow, I'm here now. I'm doing this thing that my heroes have done. Uh, perhaps when I finish this PhD, I'll finally be smart enough. Mm. And I thought, 
oh, where'd that come from? And I think so much more than perfectionism, comparison or overwork, it was just thinking uh, it, it sort of got to the heart of how I feel about myself mm. as, a, as a human being. I won't be accepted until yeah. I at least get to this point. Yeah. So uh, now I've entered this field. If I don't finish it, mm. uh, I'm, I'm completely nothing. So it was a very um, – so perhaps that is that perfectionism, that black and white thinking there is only one good and there is only one wrong. And I could hit one of those – yeah. Mm. Look, thank you both, uh, Catherine and Amy, for what you have shared so far. You've been very honest in uh, in revealing what you have wrestled with in your life, but also touching on as well the way in which imposter syndrome can really impact us in negative ways. So what we're going to do now, though, is we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Catherine and Amy are going to help us think through how the Christian faith can actually help us now in addressing these problems that we've raised, the the issue of imposter syndrome. Loving this podcast? Then don't miss the next Life at Work conference, Saturday, February 18th, 2023. Wherever you are around Australia or the world, join us as we consider the future of work, how to love your colleagues and share Jesus in an ever-changing landscape. You can watch alone, host a watch party, or join others at a local hub. Tickets are on sale now at citybibleforum.org slash lifeatworkconference. Welcome back. My guests today are academics Catherine de Fontenay and Amy Isham. Now, Amy and Catherine, in that Tina Fey quote that I mentioned earlier, she talks about oscillating between imposter syndrome and egomania. Do either of you have amusing stories you could share about how God might have humbled you in the past? I'll start with you, perhaps, Catherine. Uh, Sure. So uh, I had uh, the privilege of visiting a very good U.S. university on on a sabbatical once and really enjoyed it. But I noticed that I was um, very conscious of the issues we've been talking about. I was uh, wanting to present myself as smart and not say anything that would look foolish and and sort of uh, very conscious of the of the caliber of the people that I was around uh, and the university where I was was one where uh, the faculty mostly live on the campus mm. in in apartments uh, and so one day I uh, I went down to pick up my laundry in the basement and was a bit lazy so I went down in my pajamas mm. and managed to run into a Nobel laureate in my <laughs> sloth pajamas which was not really the look that I was hoping to <laughs> present. One of those moments where you're really wanting to impress and uh, there you are in your pajamas. Yeah, God has a God has a a way of uh, of, of humbling Calming us, calming us down. That's that's <laughs> right. What about for you, Amy? Any any similar stories that you can tell? Yeah, I just thought of one earlier. It was um, I just started in academia. Actually, I managed to land a lit review, um, and it was uh, just a systematic lit review. And I hadn't this actually. This is a literature review for those oh, perhaps unfamiliar. A literature yeah. review. I was doing a literature review on um, uh, Aboriginal mental health. Mm. So um, I'd landed this. And it was really, really exciting. And I'd never actually met the supervisor on the project. And so one day, um, you know, we'd been emailing. And then one day we had this teleconference. And I had a, uh, I was pregnant and I had a toddler. And I put my toddler in front of the TV and I was like, okay, this will be fine. This will keep her occupied for 20 minutes. It'll be all I need. And then I'd forgotten that this was one episode which terrified her and, and she came 
running in in the middle of this really serious meeting and she had this incredibly smelly pooey nappy as well and I was like oh my gosh this, this baby is you know this toddler is screaming at me how am I going to deal with this and then their phone cut out just at that moment I was like oh well thank god and so I changed this nappy and changed the episode and then they're like I'm so sorry Amy we lost you and I'm like oh that's okay you know these things happen <laughs> and this would have been before COVID I presume oh, when yes. we weren't used to that kind of uh, no. interruption happening during uh, online meetings. No, you do not secretly have a toddler and be pregnant doing a professional lit review yeah. in those days. <laughs> yeah, went just in those instances where we're trying to be impressive and impress people and, uh, and these sort of things happen. Look, uh, let's come now to how the gospel addresses imposter syndrome. Uh, Amy, you mentioned a few things that might be driving it. So let's start with uh, perfectionism. If that is perhaps at work in our hearts and is what drives the imposter syndrome that we're feeling, how does the gospel help us address that? Yeah, and I think it comes back to what Catherine and I have both been saying is we're realising that the um, the immense privilege of being in this field and in some ways we've got to recognise that we may have elevated it beyond what it is. We haven't thought about our heavenly ruler. We're impressed by our academic heroes. And I think the other thing is we might have to dig deep and go, well, why do I feel like I need this to prove myself? It might be a little bit navel-gazy, but it's a chance to go, well, um, do I really, am I really taking my value from being made in the image of God and mm. also being redeemed by Christ? So we can be sort of paralyzed by our fear of failure uh, when, because I think also the pressure of the work world is we think we either have to be perfect or we're a failure. Mm. There's those false ideas, false stories about work, false stories about who we are, and false stories about um earthly work. Mm, mm. Catherine, maybe if I can ask you if perfectionism has ever been something that you have wrestled with in your working life and the way your Christian faith has helped you deal with it. Any examples of that you can give? Yeah, I think that there's that constant struggle whenever you're completing a piece of work of is it good enough and inevitably a journal is going to tell you that it isn't good enough. Mm. Uh, but uh I think essentially we have to come back to the idea that our uh, academic skills are gifts and they're gifts from God. And so if he thinks they're good enough, we kind of have to accept that they're good enough uh, for ourselves. But it, it is a struggle for sure. Mm, mm. There's a few truths that you've both um, you've spoken of there, you know, recognizing that the gift comes from God and uh He's handed out either in abundance or just a, a small, small gift, but the recognition that if it comes from him, then being accepting of, of that. But also that that sense of identity as well that you talked about there, Amy, and recognizing who we are before God, uh, particularly as Christian people, how these things can help us in, uh, in perfectionism. What about the, the one of comparison? Uh, Catherine, you mentioned a moment ago that that's been a, one that's been in the forefront of your mind at times in your career. How have you wrestled with that? And in particular, what ways has the gospel helped you address that aspect in your life? Yeah, I think, uh, as, as Amy was saying, it's, it's recognizing that there's an aspect of worship in our, in our attitude to excellent work or excellent academics, and that really the person that we long to worship is Jesus and, and kind of trying to, to bring our focus back to him. Uh, and to his love, to his complete acceptance of mm -hmm. us. 
and so it it's very freeing in terms of the person that I'm seeking to uh, serve and to uh, honor is not my profession, but but it's God. Mm, mm. I think the word that you used there that resonates with me is that idea of freedom. It's yeah. it's freeing to it not. Really is. Yeah. Can you can you perhaps unpack that a little bit for for us in terms of just on a day to day level, um, how you might have felt that freedom, perhaps where you've been in a moment where you've felt tempted to compare. And, and that freedom has just, uh, you've been reminded of it. I think that, um, yeah, there's a, there's a number of, of difficult places you can end up in in the academic life. There can be an, an element of despair if you start feeling as though you cannot live up to the ideals that you have. There can be uh, an element of uh, I just need to keep trying harder. I just need to keep trying harder, which, uh, you know, as Christians, we know that very little is achieved by just trying harder mm. through our own work. We know that we kind of have to fall on God's grace and ask Him for help. That, you know, just, just being more bloody minded about something almost never achieves the result that, that we hope. Uh, and so I think in, in those moments where, uh, You've produced something. There sometimes there's been moments of freedom of going, oh, that's actually quite good, isn't mm. it? I'm proud of having finished that and and achieved uh, completion of that piece of work. Uh, there's a freedom of, well, I had hoped that this line of research was going to yield something really amazing. It didn't, but now we know that. That's an additional mm. piece of. Uh, knowledge that we're adding to our body of knowledge. We have a real problem in a lot of fields where uh, information is censored. We get biased information because mm. people publish only sexy new results. Mm. And if they get a boring result that isn't so interesting, that result that doesn't tend to get published. Mm. It tends to get buried at the bottom of the drawer. Mm. And so we end up with in, in, uh, inaccurate information about mm. science, which in some cases has been very, very costly. Mm. And so uh, having that freedom to say, well, this is what the data says. Mm. So this is, this is information. This is new knowledge. Those are, those are freeing moments. Mm. Oh, that's a wonderful example. Really, really helpful for us to think about it that way, that the freedom of the gospel allows us to put our mistakes or our lack of being able to find what we had hoped to find out there for people to see, and yet it also does contribute to people's understanding. But it's only the freedom that the gospel brings that might uh, allow us to be able to make ourselves so vulnerable. Look, we've talked about um, how the gospel might address perfectionism, how it might address comparison. Amy, what about overwork? And I can see overwork leading to all sorts of problems. <laughs> but tell us, how, how might the gospel address that particular issue? Yeah, and I think um, we, we have so much in Scripture that reminds us, um, well, like my husband was preaching on yesterday, was uh, Sabbath rest. So why, and he was saying Sabbath rest is, the reason why we have rest is because it reminds us that we have a creator, that we're created. Um, an example I can think of is when I was doing my research out in the country, I was learning about the Lutheran farmers um, mm. because the 
the closed uh, the settler soldier um, programs are really terrible. They gave them plots that were far too small, mm. and then they would say, "Here, get some dairy, make some dairy, and make some fruit." When they were they were really very dry lands, and they didn't mm. work. But what happened was the Lutherans would actually buy blocks next to each other and work as a family, so that they were able to actually make them fruitful. But they continued to rest on Sundays, and they received a lot of flack for mm. being different from the community around them. They're like, "Oh, why are they not working?" But it was part of their um, adherence and worshiping God, and God gave them success and blessed them in their making that arid uh, desert a, a wheat belt. So. Mm, it's funny that, isn't it? When we work in accordance with or in line with how God instructs us and encourages us to work, we, we may well even be more fruitful in the long run because of it. Yeah. Catherine, a moment ago you talked uh, about the freedom to perhaps publish uh, research that hasn't necessarily uh, had the outcome that we might have hoped for. Um, surely I imagine that that gets noticed by the people that we work with. So I wonder if, are there any positive impacts that you might have uh, experienced in your work life where in addressing imposter syndrome with the gospel uh, has had an impact on your sense of self and and worked itself out in ways that might even be attractive and observed by those that we work alongside who don't know Jesus? I'd say that um, imposter syndrome means that uh, it's very difficult to acknowledge failure because mm. you have these two possibilities, as Amy was saying, either you belong or you don't belong. And if you acknowledge failure, then now we start to believe that maybe you don't belong. Mm. And so uh, it becomes very difficult to talk about failure. I've gone to a lot of academic dinners where we start talking about publishing and it inevitably becomes a giant hate fest on <laughs> journals and <laughs> editors and those horrible referees who just have a personal vendetta and reject your paper for no reason. And, and those, ref those referees exist. <laughs> that is a thing. Uh, but I think... Uh, when I was honest about challenges that I was experiencing in getting papers published, uh, I think that uh, that was freeing for mm. my colleagues to sort of say, oh, this is something that we can talk about without having to pretend that it's someone else's fault. It is a str something that we all struggle with. It's a, it's a real challenge to have your work uh, recognized and published. And so, uh, just being honest about all of the, the bumps on that road mm. is, is a freeing thing to, to your colleague. Mm, that's a wonderful example. Yeah. What about you, Amy? Are there ways in which, as the gospel has addressed imposter syndrome in your life, it has freed you up to, to speak or work in certain ways that, that can be quite attractive to people that you might work alongside or rub shoulders with who don't know Jesus? Uh, that, that demonstrates something to them of the difference that the Christian faith makes for good. Yeah, and I think a big thing for me um, that helps me get out of my imposter syndrome and I think also um, is good for that sort of sense of witness is celebrating the success of others. Mm. Um, I'm in a research group and it's very mixed. You know, there's some Christians, some non-Christians, but there's a sense of intimacy there. And I remember just being extremely impressed by this other academic and just thinking, wow, I just love her work rather than going, oh, gee, her paper was better than mine. Mm. And I thought, well, that this comparison. is... comparison. Yeah, so instead of falling 
going into that, I go, wow, um, it's amazing what the amazing gifts she has. And I wanted to talk to her about her paper and, and how it impacted me. And so I think that that can be a way that we can overcome it is we stop comparing, we stop worrying, and we just focus on enjoying the contributions of others and mm-hmm. letting that be a part of our relationship. Yeah. Oh, look, that's wonderful. And given examples there that I guess sit at, at either side of the spectrum, both in terms of being free to acknowledge the failures in our work and the opportunities that that opens up in terms of allowing others to be free in sharing that with us. And then on the flip side as well, being free to celebrate the success of others because we've, we're not doing that comparison. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful examples. Thank you for sharing them both. One final question for both of you. Uh, any final words of encouragement uh, that you might be able to give those who feel weighed down by this burden of perfectionism, of comparison, of overwork, and the way that works itself out in that imposter syndrome and that sense of, I don't belong here. Catherine, any final words of encouragement from you? Yeah, I think ultimately we need to go back to the idea that our uh, academic gifts are gifts, Mm. uh, that they are uh, a blessing from God. Uh, And it's very easy to forget amid the stresses of the academic life that it's an incredible gift. Mm. I used to think, wow, I get to wake up every morning and think about anything that I want to think about, <laughs> and I get paid for it. This is amazing. So the, uh, the, the, the opportunity to do academic work, the privileges of interacting with brilliant people and uh, sharing ideas and exploring important areas, it is a tremendous gift. Mm. And uh, we want to keep going back to that feeling of thankfulness, mm. of accepting the gifts that we have that may not be as awesome as everybody else's gifts, but they are the gifts we have and using them and, and being thankful to God that we we can use them. I think, too, spending time in Christian community outside of mm. the academic bubble gives us <laughs> that sense of perspective. We remember what a privilege our job is. Mm. We remember uh, what, what different opportunities everybody is given. Mm. Yeah, I love that, that acknowledgement that it, ultimately all the skills and abilities and talents that we have ultimately come from God and the the way that they can lead us into thankfulness and contentedness. How about yourself, Amy? Yeah, in my case, I think um, because that is, I think that that's the theology of it is going back to that thankfulness and recognising that we're doing work um, based on the gifts that God has given us. But I think sometimes imposter syndrome can come from a genuine feeling of I'm not, I don't feel like I'm making it. I'm really, really struggling. I feel like I don't have the skills to do this and I'd like to learn them. So I think there's that option to uh, pray, pray for a mentor. And in my mm-hmm. case, um, that's taken years. And um, I've found somebody who's a Christian academic who's now gone, yeah, I'll happily help you with your drafts for this journal. And that was something is an incredible gift. Uh, before that, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm quite doing this right. And so it's it's really great when you do find people that are encouraging to you and will help you on that journey. Mm-hmm. Mm. The, the importance of Christian community that you've both pointed to there. Look, thank you so much, uh, Catherine and Amy, for sharing so honestly and practically for us in addressing something that probably uh, impacts all of us to varying degrees, whether we recognize it or not. Uh, And so it's wisdom that you have shared that I I hope will be wonderfully liberating for, for many people who are listening. So thank you to both of you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. We're taking a break now in the podcast over Christmas and New Year's, but we'll be back in January with more great episodes including considering issues around disability and the workplace. 
a fascinating testimony of one man's career and how God has used him in varied and wonderful ways. Plus, you can't do that. We're talking with two women in industries that Christians sometimes raise their eyebrows at as we explore the whole complex issue of when my ethics clash with my organisation. I'm really looking forward to all of those conversations. But until next time, I'm Andrew Laird, and you've been listening to the Life at Work Conference podcast. The Life at Work Conference podcast is produced by City Bible Forum. To find out more and register for the conference, go to citybibleforum.org slash lifeatworkconference. Enjoyed this podcast? Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing and leaving a rating so others can find us too. Join us next time on the Life at Work Conference podcast with Andrew Laird. Andrew Laird.